Take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. As you're turning, I want to say this, that I am so thankful and so humbled by the last few weeks, the outpouring of support for our staff, our pastors, our pastor emeritus, uh, just the way that you have loved us and encouraged us. Uh, went above and beyond. And for that, we are so thankful. And uh, God's good to us. He really is. He has been overwhelmingly good to us. And uh, I look forward to uh, continuing in this series tonight, Authentic Christianity. This will be the fifth message tonight in Authentic Christianity. And tonight, our focus is God's plan for prayer. God's plan for prayer. What does it really mean to be a Christian and understand your role, your responsibility, and the workings of prayer? And tonight we'll explore that in Ephesians 6 for just a few minutes. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for another day. God, another opportunity to glorify you with our life and the way that we live and the way that we love. God, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we have felt here already today. God, for the encouragement that we've received today. God, just from being with your people and your family. God, we are so, so blessed to have one another, to have your living word. God, to have all that you've given us. Lord, as we as a church dive into what it means to be an authentic Christian, God, I pray that tonight that you would hide me behind the cross as we study this incredible passage. And Father, I pray that you would be lifted up Father, that you would penetrate hearts with the truth of your word. Lord, we rest in the comfort and the knowledge that you are able to do great and mighty things through the preached word of God. Lord, we ask tonight that you would be with our church family that wish they could be in the building, but Father, are unable to be here. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. God, I pray for every person that's watching online and worshiping with us from a different place. God, I pray that you would bless them tonight. Be with them, encourage them. And Father, we'll be faithful to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So we're going to briefly touch tonight on God's plan for prayer, biblical understanding of what prayer is in your life. Prayer, if the devil could, would reduce the action of prayer to be as minimal in your life as possible. He would cut out a desire that you would ever communicate with your creator. Prayer is so, so vital. And really, it's a requirement in the life. If you're going to live a life that is truly authentic for Jesus, if you're going to have authentic faith, you must pray. It's one of the greatest indicators that someone has real faith, if they are saved is that they want to pray. There is a desire from the inside to communicate with God. It's a great indicator that your relationship with God is truly genuine when you pray. And really, the Bible's clear. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without prayer, it's impossible to have faith. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we have, that we possess as Christians. But if you watch church history and you explore prayer and its importance, prayer and its role, 
prayer and the way it's preached about. If you go back in church history, you will see a very gradual decline over the decades and through the century that would show you and prove to you that prayer has become less important in the life of the church. It's preached about less. It's talked about less. And there is prayerlessness that is gripping the church, especially here in the United States. Uh, There are still great examples in our world where prayerlessness is not a problem. There are uh, faith, uh, born-again Christians who are deeply rooted in their faith in different countries where prayer is the number one uh, action of the church. It's the most important thing that happens even in their service time. Uh, Prayer is not dead everywhere is the point. And the places that you find that prayer is greatly alive within the church, you find a healthy church that's alive, that's well, that's growing, that's doing great things for the kingdom of God because of their prayer life. Uh, You'll find no, uh, no relation to the amount of money that they have in the bank or the number of staff that they have or even the size of their congregation. Some of the most impactful congregations on the planet are 200 or 500 people but that have a culture of prayer in the church, Uh, not only corporately, but individually. But prayerlessness for us tonight, if we were at the doctor getting a checkup, and he was doing our checkup, and he found the disease of prayerlessness, it's truly a life-threatening disease. And systemically, prayerlessness weakens the entire body. And eventually, this disease leads to paralysis. You'll stop moving, you'll stop growing, you'll stop doing. It is a deadly disease in the life of a Christian. Prayerlessness is so dangerous to a Christian. And when we don't pray, when we choose not to pray, we leave ourselves, those in our home, those that we love, those that we are responsible for, we leave them uh, open to an attack. We leave ourselves open to an attack from the enemy. Prayer is an offensive weapon. Prayer is not just, thank you, Lord, for my ham sandwich and the people who made it. Prayer is intercession. It is dialogue with the creator of heaven and earth. It's not monologue. This is not one person talking into open space. This is dialogue between you and your Savior, you and the creator of the heavens and the earth. And when we choose not to pray, when prayer is not a part of our daily life, we actually do part of what we talked about Sunday. We divert or we take or we thieve or we rob glory from God. Because in the end, the purpose in prayer is for God to get glory out of your life and in the communication. Prayer is part of you glorifying God in your life. And so when we pray, we open ourselves up to an attack and to discouragement and to pain. And when we do not pray, we rob God of glory. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is very meaningful. And according to God's word, prayer turns the ear of God towards his children who are in his will. Think about that. Prayer will turn the ear of the creator of the heavens and the earth towards his children, you and I, who are in his will. Psalm 66, you don't have to turn there. I'll read this excerpt from the psalm. Psalm 66, verse 16. 
Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Here's the proclamation. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily, God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. God not only hears your prayer, but he responds to the prayer. It's one thing for God to hear it. It's an entirely different thing. And the whole point that God can attend to your prayer and do something about the prayer request you're submitting to him in his will. Prayer is dialogue with the great interventionalness, the greatest interventionalness in the history of the universe. You're having dialogue with the great physician, the all-knowing one, the I am, the alpha and the omega. That's who you are having dialogue with. And I'm afraid that we as Christians sometimes become so mechanical in our prayer that we forget who we're having dialogue with. It's not falling on deaf ears. It's not falling on blind eyes. It is turning the ear of a God that loves you, that cares for you according to his will. Prayer is powerful. And it is so powerful that God institutes in our lives multiple places throughout Scripture that prayer is a requirement. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member of Trinity Baptist Church. You must pray. You say, well, I've been saved a really long time and I'm, I'm weak and I'm tired and God knows my heart. Yes, he does. But in prayer, he will strengthen you to get to the final stretch, the final push. We all must pray, every single person under the sound of my voice. And prayerlessness, think of this, in this day in which we are living, I do not have to review with you the madness that's going on outside of these doors. It will make you lose your mind if you put it to your mind what all's happening. It's insanity, the things that are happening in America tonight. We're embracing right before our very eyes American Marxism and throwing away what God gave us. It's insanity. But may I submit to you that the more insane thing is that Christians would remain prayerless in this time. That's what's more crazy than the world doing what the world does. Is that Christians aren't praying, which is the one thing that can change the whole thing. Prayerlessness is the problem. It's not a political issue. The world's being the world. The minds that are blind because they have not been changed, converted, regenerated by the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. The issue is prayerlessness amongst Christians. It's our responsibility. It's our job to be salt and to be light. Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 5. But if you want things to change in your country, instead of writing a letter to your congressman over and over and over, get on your knees and write a letter to heaven and beg God who is able to do something on our behalf. It's vital. We're putting the cart before the horse. Our job is not to sound the alarm of what the world's doing. Our job is to get on our knees and go to God and tell him what we need. He's able. But prayerlessness right now in 2021 is so dangerous 
And I say this with all the love in my heart, but it's reckless. You're waiting for disaster to happen in your life emotionally, spiritually, and even physically if you're not praying. You say, that seems a little harsh. It seems a little much. Go to Ephesians 6 and go to a very, very familiar passage. These two verses, I, I know Pastor Ralph and I both have preached here multiple times. Most of our pastor friends since March 2020 have preached here multiple times. This is where we are. This is the recipe that we need right now where we are as Christians living in Buncombe County, Henderson County, Madison County. I don't care where you are, but in our country right now, what we're dealing with, this is exactly what we need and this is what we need to know. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay, so there's three things we're going to pull out of Ephesians 6 right here. We're going to go fast, uh, but I want you to take notes, go back and review this. Number one, the first thing that you will pull out of this is that Paul is exposing the enemy. This is the enemy exposed. He's letting you know just exactly who it is that you are at war with. You say, well, I didn't declare war on anyone. They've declared war on you. If you belong to God, you are their enemy. It's not a choice. It's not a participation uh, selection. If you're saved, born again, and on your way to heaven, this war has been declared against you and your home. Paul said later on in 2 Corinthians that he knew that the devil had a plan and he didn't want him to get an advantage over him. This is a war that's coming for every single man, woman, boy, and girl who is saved and on their way to heaven. This is a war that's been uh, engaged about with you directly. And here he exposes the enemy. There are four enemies exposed here. Number one's the principalities. This word here, principalities, it refers to a government, think of this, or a kingdom ruled by a prince. A government or a kingdom ruled by a prince. Ephesians 2, 2. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Who is the prince of the power of the air? It's Satan. And what you're seeing here in this list of enemies is that you're watching uh, that there is a process, there is structure There is order within the things that the devil controls. This enemy is not some frivolous snake waiting under a rock for you to flip the rock over. This is an active pursuant enemy to the soul of yourself. It's coming for you and your children and your family and your church. Thank God we are kept by the Holy Spirit of promise and he cannot take our salvation from us. Once saved, always saved. But his job is to torment and to squelch the gospel message of Jesus Christ being lived out by people being salt and light. So this first enemy is the principality, the government, the kingdom that's ruled by this prince, this wicked prince. The second is powers. It lists the word powers. And this has to do with the influence within the government of Satan that influences lost people. 
This is the influence of people who have not yet come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why it said in the beginning of this verse, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The people who are being controlled by the powers, the dark influence, that is the enemy, not the person that's being controlled. We're to pray for them. We're to grieve their soul. We're to pray for them. Thirdly, the rulers of darkness. We know that when Satan was cast down with his horde here, he was given a temporary power, a temporary governance. He has power here temporarily. It will not last forever. And then spiritual wickedness in high places. And these four designations, they describe the different office and the rankings that the demons and the devils, what they have. Satan's forces of darkness. And they're greatly structured. And their entire purpose is to be destructive. So this is being laid out in front of you. Here is your enemy, clear, cut, and dry in front of your face. These are the four levels of Satan's group who come after God's people. Go on to verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So in verse 12, he lists the uh, enemy that's to be engaged And then secondly, he lists the equipment that's needed to fight. And I don't want to go over all of these tonight or their meaning. We can come back to these later. But in verse 14, you see the belt of truth. Also in 14, the breastplate of righteousness. The feet of peace in verse number 15. The shield of faith in 16. The helmet of salvation in 17. And then also in 17, the sword of the spirit. The belt, the breastplate the feet of peace, shield, helmet, sword. He gives us the equipment and how they are used to fight the enemy, to engage the enemy, to prepare for the battle. And then here's where I want to focus tonight for just a few more minutes. So we've seen the enemy that's exposed that we will be engaged with. We have the equipment to fight, the preparation. And then in verse number 18, you have the battle plan. Here it is. This is MacArthur coming back to the Philippines. This is Churchill storming on D-Day. This is our battle plan to fight this wickedness and this darkness and this destruction that is ruining our country and what God gave us. That is robbing people of joy and happiness on a daily basis. This is how we win and this is how we fight. Verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And we're going to take this verse apart. Verse number 18, our battle plan to engage. The first part I want us to go over, and you can highlight this or circle this in your Bible, but it says all prayer and supplication. All prayer and supplication. And what he's focusing on here is the scope or the range of what you should pray for. Notice what he says. He says, all prayer and supplication. A supplication is a request, a desire, a need. And this is the range for what you pray for. He said, all of it, all of your requests, all of your burdens, all of your needs, anything that troubles your hearts, take it to your creator and tell him, 
take the supplication straight to his ear that he promised to turn towards you in mercy. All prayer and all supplication. And really what I do sometimes, I'll catch myself, I'll come to a situation, I'll come to a problem, an issue, and listen, even a hurt or a pain, I'll get my feelings hurt. I'll get something said to me that really bothers me to the core of my being, and it'll ruin my day. And before I go to God, my human nature has called every person on this planet that I trust to tell them just what I think about this situation. And often, I'm finding, it involves a person, usually someone close to you, or someone that loves you, or someone that you go to church with, or it's a cancer diagnosis, or it's a child that's wayward, is going in the wrong direction. And our human nature, our response is always to find our own way to fix the problem. I'm going to fix this issue. I'm going to call somebody that maybe knows how to fix this issue. I'm asking this as grandson to grandfather. How many times a week do I call you with a problem? 4,612. Okay. So problems, issues, the worries of life, supplications, needs. But here lately, I'm catching myself speaking a problem or talking to Miranda or talking to even one of my pastor friends, and I'll go, You know what? I I haven't even prayed over it though. I've not taken this to God who's able to change it instantaneously. He's the one that can persuade the hearts of minds and men. And really he should be first in your favorites list. And when I get in the way and I get hurt and I get whatever you want to put there, I'll find my iPhone, I'll hit my favorites list and I'll start at the top and start calling But now when I go to that phone and if I'm calling, especially in an emotional state or an aggravated state, I imagine at the very top, it says Jesus. And I want to tell him first. You know what? Because sometimes after I pray, the Holy Spirit of God will check my heart, my motivations, my intentions, and I'll realize that I'm the problem. Take your supplications and your prayer requests to God first. He said, take all of them. Second, he says, always. So first, he said, all prayer and supplication. Everything you've got on your list, take it to him. Every burden, every worry of life, take it to him. And then secondly, he said, always. And this focuses on the frequency. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Pray without ceasing. Prayer is a lifestyle. What we wind up doing is prayer becoming our go-to. Instead of a human knee-jerk reaction, a quick emotion, uh, the the prayer is that we learn to pray quickly. God, move my heart towards you in these moments. Let this be a daily thing. We're supposed to be praying as we go throughout our day that God would allow us to be salt, allow us to be light, to be put in someone's way who needs encouragement or the good news of the gospel. But in even so much more, in our own problems and issues of life, it should be always praying without ceasing. Third, he said, in the spirit, all prayer, all supplication, focusing on the scope, the range, always Focusing on the frequency. And then he said, in the spirit. And here's the key. In the spirit. This focuses on the submission to the will of God. 
according to what I'm asking. This is what can be so difficult. When we embrace what we preach Sunday morning that my purpose in life is to glorify God, it will change the way I pray. And the way it changes the way I pray is that it changes my posture in my prayer. It's like what Pastor Rory was talking about earlier about going through something. Instead of praying for it to go away, as we mature as Christians, we pray, God, teach me something in this as we go through it together. I submit to your will for my life. And even if you don't heal me from this disease, even if you don't change the circumstance with my family member, even if you don't save my son, my daughter, my grandchild in my time, what I think is right, I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to glorify you. And I submit in my prayer to your will. God, I may be praying against your will. Show me. Help me to understand what it is you want in this situation. It changes everything. Instead of us stepping back and going, what can I understand in my human capacity with this problem? It allows us the privilege to step back and say, I can't understand this in my human capacity and I'm going to give it to God. I submit to him in prayer that his will be done, that I will stay sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you can't be in the spirit praying if you're not right in your fellowship with God. It's so difficult to go to God in prayer in the spirit when the fellowship is broken. It feels so awkward asking your father for a Christmas present after you just lied. Here's my Christmas list, Dad. Well, son, you just told a lie. You just broke fellowship. And you want to talk about your Christmas list, your wants and your desires. That's how it feels when the fellowship's broken with God. Because all you can think of and all that your conscience will allow you to go to is not the prayer request, it's the sin. And if you're going to pray in the Spirit, you've got to be right with the Spirit. There can't be a fracture in your relationship with Him. And part of this is consistency. That when the issue comes, the problem comes in life, that I am being consistent in my walk of faith with God. That I don't have to go spend 15 minutes in prayer asking him to restore fellowship and that we can get back on the same page together. That I can instantly go to him and say, I know I'm right with you. I know I'm clean before you. There's nothing between you and me. And I instantly am going to bring this to you because I need intervention. That's praying with power. And people who we know in our lives that live a life that so reflects Christ that we would use an adjective like holy or that they live a life of holiness in front of their family. Can I tell you what the key to holiness really is? It's consistency in a walk with God. It's that there are not sporadic breaks or pauses or stays in your fellowship. Every time the fellowship is broken, it's ground lost. It's power that's lost. It's comfortability that's lost. And it takes time to get back into a position where with strength and power and courage and confidence, you can go to your father with your request and your supplication. That's why there is such power in living a life of consistent holiness. Because you have power to pray. In the spirit. He said all prayer and supplication focusing on the scope. Always focusing on the frequency in the spirit. Focusing on the submission to the will of God. Then he said watching. 
He said, watching. And this focuses on the manner in which we pray. He said, watching. Watching doesn't happen unless you expect something to happen. You're not going to go sit on, uh, on your couch or whatever you sit on while you watch TV and turn on the TV when the World Series is already over and expect the World Series to play on your TV magically. You turn on the TV to watch the World Series because you expect the World Series to be there when you go there. When I come here to church, I expect for there to be someone here in this pulpit preaching. I expect it. I'm watching for it. The service is transitioning. The offering is happening. Now I'm watching because I expect that someone's going to get in this pulpit and preach the word of God. I expect it. And when you are praying, you are praying with great expectation because of the confidence of praying in the spirit. That you're right with your God and that you can go clean before him to ask that he works with you. He does. He intervenes. He does what no one else can do. And you watch him move. You watch him do things that only he can do. But he's saying when you're coming to me in prayer, come in a spirit of watching, expecting God to do things. And really people get so weary sometimes in watching over and over again and nothing ever happening. And what we have to remember and what we have to realize is that God's timing is absolutely perfect. It is perfect. It may hurt your feelings. It may make you sad. It may not make sense. But I promise you, God's timing is perfect. He worketh all things well. And there are people in this church, in this congregation, some are here tonight, some aren't, that have been praying for lost loved ones for decades. May I encourage you to keep watching, keep praying, keep believing that God is able. We cannot put God in a box of human understanding or capability or limitation. That's not who our God is. He is able to do something in that situation in moments that you could spend a lifetime trying to do or force that will never happen. Watching. Oswald Chambers says this, the meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of God and not the answer. The meaning of prayer is not that you get the answer instantaneously or that it's a box that's checked or a text message comes with the answer, here's, your, here's everything you asked for. It's that you get a hold of God. Remember, our purpose is to glorify God in all that we do. So when we pray, our purpose is not to get an answer or to get an itch scratched, but it's to communicate with your maker and to glorify him. The meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of him, not the answer. He said, watching, focusing on the manner. He said, in all perseverance, focusing on the persistence. And some prayers are answered quickly. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. You have too. Prayers that God answered and it even it blew your mind that it could even be fixed so fast or that God would move and intervene so quickly. There are thousands of stories that are even here tonight where God moved and it satisfied our desire for it to be done quickly. And then some prayers, as we mentioned, take decades. And then some prayers are answered with a no. It wasn't meant to be in God's will. God in his sovereignty allowed this to happen. 
There are some things that we will not understand until we get home to heaven and our minds and our bodies are perfect just like Jesus and he allows us to see the tapestry of time and we understand everything he saw. I thank God for some of the prayers that he did not answer in my life. Oh, where I would be if he would have allowed me to have what I thought I really wanted. And some of this, it all rests in God's sovereignty and not our understanding. But all perseverance. Keep praying and keep watching. Then lastly, he said, all saints, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And there he's focusing on the people. The people that you need to pray for. The people who stand in need of prayer. Notice he said all saints. Every single person under the sound of my voice or watching online, you must pray. You have to pray. Fathers, mothers, there is a God-mandated order from heaven's throne that you pray for your children. Grandparents, one of the greatest gifts God gives you, especially in your winter years, is that you have the ability to pray for your family. You may not be able to give them money or wealth or houses or cars or land, but one of the greatest things you can do for your family is the time it takes to invest a prayer life for their sake. And there are many of us who are standing here tonight or are here tonight because someone prayed. Somebody prayed and God answered their prayer. A lot of us are here tonight because of someone's prayer. And I want you to see this in verse 19 and 20. We'll close. And for me, Paul says, and for me that utterance may not be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is saying, I'm asking you to pray not for my well-being or my physical comfort, but I'm praying that you will pray for me so that I can be bold and faithful for the gospel. Paul knew his purpose was to glorify God and to preach Jesus. And he was asking these people as they remembered him to remember him for the right reason, to pray for him for the right reason. And tonight, as we're all challenged from God's word to pray, as we pray in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication, and it's a frequency of always that we pray for the right reasons. It's talked about in the gospels about Praying for vain glory that you would be seen by men, but not by your Father in heaven. It says that if you do that, if you're praying to be recognized by man for your capability of mouth or tongue or words or vocabulary, God says that's your reward. That's your prayer answered there. If it's for vain repetition or for a religious exercise, it means nothing to your God. 
But if you'll come with the right spirit in the spirit, clean and holy before me, with all prayer and all supplication, my ear will be toward you as you pray. I will listen to you and I'll intervene on your behalf. That is a promise from God's word. And then the words of Jesus, Matthew 21, 13, and this is my prayer for Trinity Baptist Church. And Jesus says unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And Trinity, we have to be about our Father's business and we have to pray. Tuesday nights at nine o'clock, our men meet here to pray. And men, I would encourage you, if you are able, come and pray. That's a corporate opportunity to pray. Our ladies meet Tuesdays and Thursdays. And part of that is given to prayer. And as your pastor and as we pray going forward, my heart is that on Wednesday nights, we would take more and more of our time, give it to God's word and to prayer corporately. Because if we can break the ice of breaking corporately here together, maybe it starts a fire that goes home to your house. And prayer on a daily basis happens with your husband, your wife, your children. I promise you, if that happens, this church will never, ever be the same. If that becomes the culture that we give ourselves to prayer like we give ourselves to drinking water and breathing air, it will change our church and it will change our lives. I'm reminded of the story when this church exploded in numbers, almost doubled in size. Can I tell you when it began? According to the history I've been told, it started in our youth group when young ladies became burdened for their family members. They became burdened for their friends at school and their friends at church. And they began to pray together. And they began to, play at ho- to pray at home. And next thing you know, they're meeting on Sunday night before church to meet in the lower part of the chapel where our children meet now. And they would pray. And then God began to move and people got saved and people were added to the church. And some of you are here today because of that. Just a few months ago when we had a breath of revival and almost 25 people saved, best we know, it started because some young ladies got a burden to pray. And church, it will change us. It will make us better to be who we're supposed to be. And it will help us fight this war that's here. And tonight I hope you leave encouraged to pray like never before. And so as we close, it's right at 7.30. We've been here about an hour. I'd like for us to close tonight with a season of prayer. Just a few minutes. The altars are open. Maybe you're here with your husband or your wife. I would ask for you to take her hand, husband, or take his hand, wife. And if you do it in blue chairs, that's fine. Or if you can come kneel and pray, great. But I think we should set the example tonight we would ask God to charge our hearts as we live authentic lives for Christ and carry out his plan according to his word for prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we come into your presence because of our advocate, Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. 
And God, we come into your presence tonight in the spirit. God, with all of our prayers and all of our supplications. And Father, tonight we ask you to move the waters here at Trinity Baptist Church. Stir the hearts of the people tonight. God, that our hearts would be drawn to prayer. God, that our minds would think about prayer. God, that you would burden people to pray. Father, that you would give us a fresh breath from heaven. God, to help us continue to persevere. God, for the one that's here tonight that's praying over a prayer request that's years old. God, I pray tonight you would encourage them not to give up, to continue to pray. God, for the one that's praying for a lost child, a lost son, a lost daughter. God, I pray that you would encourage them tonight to keep being who they need to be. To keep praying for that lost one that's out in the world or a wayward person. Lord, I pray that as Trinity goes forward, Lord, that we would be focused on prayer like we never have before. God, that you would take our eyes off of anything that would distract us. And God, that you would focus us exactly where we need to be. God, equip our people. God, empower us to pray with power. God, give us the wisdom and the discernment for what to pray for. Father, thank you for these people who have been praying faithfully for years and years. God, I pray that you would honor them tonight. God, thank you for great examples to follow, to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask tonight that you would search every heart that's here. And God, where there is sin of prayerlessness, we ask that you would restore fellowship. God, that we would submit to your word and that we would pray. God, that we wouldn't make any more excuses. But Father, we would pray. God, that we would be a church that does. Father, that we would pray without ceasing. Lord, we pray for this weekend for our teenagers as they come together to worship you, to hear the word of God preached. God, I pray that you would move in a mighty and a powerful way. God, I pray for Pastor Nathan as he stands behind the pulpit at Camp Cedarcliff. God, that you would open his mouth, hide him behind the cross and use him, Father, to preach the word. God, use him to reach those teenagers. God, for Pastor Tim Brady as he preaches, God, I pray that this weekend you would use him. God, give him the message. Give him unction. Father, I pray for Pastor Jason Cox as he preaches. Lord, that you would move in that service, that you would use the word to penetrate the minds and the hearts of teenagers who so desperately need you in this day and this hour. Father, I pray for Sunday morning right here when these teenagers come back. Lord, I pray that each teenager would walk back into this sanctuary on Sunday morning to a welcoming church family. God, with smiles and people who worship and praise you with their mouths open. God, that they would be welcomed here. They would feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Father, as Pastor Ralph stands in this pulpit Sunday to preach, God, I pray that you would give him exactly what he needs. God, the message that would seal that weekend for those teenagers. Save them, seal them, sanctify them, change lives, encourage the leaders, keep them safe, and we will give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for what you do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.